Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast, riding the rodeo of religion and life. I'm Steve Poos Benson. I'm the host of the podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor of Columbine United Church in Littleton. I'm the author of the book, Sent to Soar, Fulfill Your Divine Potential for Yourself in the World, and The Jesus Path, both of which can be found on Amazon. You know, the purpose of this podcast is to allow me to explore the various dimensions of faith and life. And today is episode 55, and I want to explore a rodeo topic. Not cowboy rodeo topic, but a rockin' and rollin' topic that I have a lot of passion about. You know, I'm going to in this episode I'm going to talk about something pretty controversial. Um, I'm going to keep it to 30 minutes. When I hit the 30 minute mark, I'll pause the recording and pick it back up in another episode. Nobody wants to listen to someone, let alone me, for more than 30 minutes. I try to keep it to what might be the average commute time so that uh, you're not overwhelmed by everything that I have to say, but it's done in a basic small bite mark. So what's so controversial? I want to talk about a book that I wrote but have never published. It's uh, by far and away the most controversial book and um, I think it's why a publisher has never wanted to, to touch it. It's called Damned to Dignified, a religious reflection on suicide, euthanasia, and the soul's ultimate destiny. You know, this month is Suicide Awareness Month. Today, this uh, is Sunday. Today's the Second Wind Fund Walk. Second Wind Fund is a great organization that raises money for at-risk kids, The fund provides money for children and teens to receive three free therapy. If there's, I'm sorry, I've got a cold today and uh, I can barely hear myself talk. It provides uh, free therapy for kids if they're suicidal. The second wind, you know, has literally helped hundreds of kids. It's a great organization. But because of the significance of this month's Suicide Awareness Month, I want to talk about a shadow side of suicide that I've had to deal with over the years, and that is the question, does the soul of someone who completes suicide go to hell? It's a heavy question. You know, um, I've talked with many therapists who use this as a motivation to keep someone from killing themselves. If you kill yourself, you go to hell, the therapist says. Don't kill yourself. You know, I think that's just terrible therapy. It's terrible theology. And, you know, I think that it's it's got to stop. We can't keep on telling people that they're going to go to hell if they complete suicide. You know, other pe- people think that their religion teaches that you're going to go to hell if you kill yourself. You know, that's just not the case. I'll never forget one Sunday after church, You know, a young couple was waiting off to the side of the crowd. You know, I stand out there outside of the the sanctuary or I stand on the front stoop of the church and people like to come out and they say hello, we chat, greet one another. And I noticed off to the side there was a young couple, probably late 20s, early 30s. I had never seen them before. And after everyone had filed past, they came up to me and they asked, Are you the pastor that teaches about suicide? I was kind of shocked a little bit, but I said I was. They then told me the story of their brother who had just killed himself 
and people told them their brother was in hell, and they wanted to know if it was true. I thought to myself, how cruel can people be? Here they have just lost a brother, and people are adding to the pain by telling them their brother is in hell. I just, I can't believe that kind of thinking. You know, I gently told them that no, their brother was not in hell. I told them that God is a gracious God and God would never, ever condemn someone who is suffering to hell. Another time, a woman at Columbine came in to see me in my office. She shared a heartbreaking story about her granddaughter who had just killed herself. You know, um, it's just heartbreaking about a story about a young teenager taking their life. I mean, that's why the Second Wind Fund is so important. It, it tries to keep young people from killing themselves. You know, this woman was devastated uh, that she had lost her granddaughter. But what brought her to see me was a conversation she had with her book group. She said she had been meeting with them for years. She felt close to them, so she decided to share her pain about the death of her granddaughter. Uh, the group listened, and then one of them said, let's pray. Sounds innocent enough, right? Let's pray. So they all bowed their heads, and one of the group members who said, let's pray, she prayed. But they prayed for the teenager's soul who was in hell. The woman from Columbine was shocked. You know, they actually believed her granddaughter was in hell. She says she told him to stop the prayer. She got up and left. Good for her. I just She came in to see me and asked, was it true? Was her granddaughter in hell? You know, again, this I can't believe people would be so cruel. I assured her most definitely her granddaughter was not in hell. God does not assign people to hell, especially those who are suffering enough to take their own lives. Now, over and over again, I've had to tell people that no, the Christian faith does not teach us. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's only taught in the later traditions of the church. But at the core of the Christian faith, God does not condemn people to hell who take their life in complete suicide. You know, um, I've been asked the question so many times over my career that I decided I needed to write a book about it. I needed to go public with what I felt um, and what I believed to be true after all my study and research and this book, Damned to Dignified, was a result of it. Um, since it was never published, you know, I just set it aside and buried it. I decided that maybe it was just too controversial to bring up and, uh, you know, it just now wasn't the right time. So I moved on to writing other things. But the book keeps nagging at me. Does this book need to be published somehow? You know, I think it does, or if nothing else, I'm going to publish it through this podcast and share different insights from it. But maybe after listening to this, you know someone who can lead me to a publisher. If you think that this book is valuable enough, that uh, you can help me bring it out. But anyway, today I want to share with you a few key insights from the book. And as I said... I'm going to take a few episodes because there's a lot here I want to unpack. All right. What I did in the book was to first survey what all the world religions teach about the soul. If, the, if they think the soul goes to hell, 
well, we better first determine what they believe about the soul. Um, and it's fascinating to look at all the different things that each of the world religions teach about a soul, what is the purpose of the soul, where does, uh, how does the soul travel with, uh, with a human being. You heard me in an earlier episode when I talk about what happens after we die, I just talk briefly about uh, the different uh, religions teach about how that soul travels on. The metaphysical um, uh, concept of the soul was what I really dove, dove into. But all the religions believe that there is a soul that is attached to a human body, that travels with the human body actually before its conception, then through the life, and then after the conception, I mean, after the death, it goes on to whatever is next. And each of the religions teach something about something different about what happens next. So I talked about that. And then after that, I did a thorough examination of each of the world's religion and uh, what they teach about suicide. Because if the soul goes to what is happening next, does the fact of suicide, if someone takes their life, does it hinder the direction and the forward movement of the soul? So here's the short of it. Here's what I found. While none of the religions condone suicide, that's an important thing. Not a single religion condones suicide. Only Islam gives grace to those who take their life. Islam openly condemns suicide. And if you take your life, if you're a Muslim, you go straight to hell. The Quran is very, very clear about that. But then uh, the other religions, each of them in their own gentle way, teach of God's grace. There is uh, a way our religion and those who follow it twist up this basic message. But in the end, there is grace. It's a core concept that gets at the heart of theology. Would a God of love and mercy send the soul of someone who was suffering to the point that they would voluntarily end their life to hell? I mean, think about that. We say that God is love, and God is with us in the middle of our suffering. If God is with us in the middle of our suffering, could it really be that this God would take someone and send them to hell, that in the midst of their suffering they took their life? <laughs> I, I just can't wrap my head around it. No, and God doesn't. And so my book unpacks that. So um, I, I've tried to wrestle with what to kind of um, share with you today to kind of dive into it. So I decided to focus, since I'm a Christian and a Christian pastor, I decided to talk about the Bible and uh, what the Bible teaches about the soul and teaches about suicide. Um, all right. You might not know that there are six voluntary deaths recorded in the Hebrew Bible. And I call it voluntary death because suicide, the term suicide, means soul murder. And I just don't believe that we're murdering our soul. So I want to get away from the stigma of that term suicide. And I want to call it a voluntary death. All right, so there are six voluntary deaths recorded in the Bible. I'll just kind of go through them. All right, Abimelech, king of Israel, ends his life after he is wounded while attacking the tower at Thebes. Uh, this is a great story. A woman atop the tower wall dropped a rock on his head, mortally wounding him. 
He is ashamed that a woman could kill the king of Israel to save his pride. He commands his armor bearer to kill him. The armor bearer draws a sword and kills the king. The interesting thing is that the scripture passes no judgment upon Abimelech for his action. It just describes the way that he died. Uh, Think about Samson. Samson voluntarily ends his life by pulling down the pillars of the Philistine god Dagon. He kills himself. He voluntarily ends his life. And all those gathered in the temple dedicated to their god. His action is assisted by the god Yahweh. He is applauded by the Hebrew author for taking his life and the life of all those gathered together. It's kind of a a gross story that we lift uh, Samson up as a hero, but he kills himself. All right, here's a great one. King Saul and his armor bearer uh, voluntarily end their lives in desperation after Saul's sons are dead, and Saul is surrounded by his arch enemy, the Philistine army. Saul is in full retreat. He reaches the top of Mount Gilboa. Saul stands alone with his armor bearer when He is mortally wounded by Philistine archers. So Saul doesn't want to be captured. So Saul commands his young armor bearer to kill him. Uh, When the the young kid refuses to do so, Saul takes his own sword and falls upon it. He kills himself. The armor bearer, mortified and overcome with fear, falls on his sword, killing himself as well. The key point is that neither man is judged negatively by the authors of the scriptures for taking their lives. It just describes how they died. Um, Another one, uh, i got to say this right. Ahithophel ends his life after his war advice to King Absalom goes unheeded. Um, uh, Ahithophel returns to his home, puts his house in order, and hangs himself. The scriptures rendered no judgment, positive or negative, against Ahithophel and his death. Another one, Zimri, king of Israel, kills himself when he realizes he is surrounded by the armies of Judah. Zimri, knowing his death is imminent, goes into the palace and sets it on fire rather than be taken hostage. Again, Zimri is not condemned for ending his life, but for doing evil in the sight of God, killing Elah and causing sin to fall upon Israel. Key, he kills himself, sets his house on fire. There is no judgment. And then, of course, there is Judas in the New Testament. The story of his death is recounted in Matthew and Luke. However, what's interesting is they both tell different stories. In Matthew's Gospel, It simply says, Judas hung himself, period. There is no judgment, condemnation for ending his life. It's just a simple statement of how he died. He hung himself. In Luke, it's more a convoluted story where Judas takes the silver he got from betraying Jesus, buys a piece of land, lives on the land, and after a while, it's really kind of an interesting story. He swells up, falls over, and quote-unquote his bowels spill on the ground. It's kind of a grim story. But again, there's no condemnation. It just simply describes how uh, Judas ended his life. You know, 
No, in each of these cases, individuals are not condemned. Their destiny in the afterlife is not questioned. And their reputations were not tainted because they ended their lives. You know, the desire to voluntary end life is an accepted expression of anguish and pain in the Bible. The Bible is clear that life can be so heavy that people want to end their life. Here's a couple other stories. In the midst of uh, Rebecca's pain from the Hebrew Bible, the tension between her two sons is so bad that she tells her husband, Isaac, I am weary of my life. What good should my life do to me? Moses becomes weary of dealing with the Hebrew people and implores God, If this is the way you're going to treat me, put me to death at once, and do not let me see my misery. As Elijah flees from the vengeance of Jezebel, he says to God, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then Job. In the midst of Job's suffering, he states, So that I would choose strangling and death rather than than this body, I loathe my life. As Jonah argues with God, Jonah says, And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Again, um, there's no judgment that these people should be feeling this way, that their life should come to end. There's no shame. It's just an expression of how hard life can be. You know, it's also important enough the Bible uh, doesn't say these people broke the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. This is a key one. As people think that uh, surely they are breaking the sixth commandment when they voluntarily end their life. The authors of the Hebrew Bible and of Judas never referred to it. They never say, they never judge these people as they've uh, broken the sixth commandment. I've heard it bantered around that people who kill themselves in our contemporary world, uh, they break this commandment. It could be further from the truth. The sixth commandment is not thou shalt not kill, but thou shalt not murder. And it always refers to the murder of someone else not to killing yourself. It's directed to an action that you do to someone else, not that which you do to yourself. And again, not one of the biblical authors say that the person who ended those life, those stories from the Hebrew Bible, broke the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. It's just not there. Now, here's a really controversial one that uh, kind of is hard for people to get their their head around. Um, The Bible talks about uh, Jesus and his death. And I've read a few authors who said that maybe even Jesus' death was a voluntary death. Now, think about this. He never stopped the Jewish Sanhedrin. He never begs for his life. He never argues with Pilate. He simply allows his death to take place. You know, when I first read this, argued he was a noted author on suicide and the Bible. You know, I'll admit I was a bit shocked, but, you know, it still made sense. You know, did Jesus, his death, was a reflection of voluntary death? You know, that's kind of a stretch for people, but I thought I'd talk about it. I put it in the book. Um, Then in the book of Philippians, 
you can argue that maybe Paul was contemplating suicide. You know, in this letter, he is suffering in prison. He balances whether it's best to live or to die. To live is to be with God. To die is to be with God. He can't decide between the two. But he acknowledges that the choice is there before him. He doesn't condemn himself for thinking this way. It's just a matter of thought and contemplation. All right. So how did we get from where the Bible doesn't condemn suicide to where we are today? I think that's the big question. Since the Bible doesn't condemn suicide and our contemporary world people condemn suicide, how do we get here? Well, society developed the concept of those who virally tend their lives are selfish and inconsiderate. How did that happen? How do we get to the place where religious communities fear for their loved one's souls? And then, again, I ask the question, why do therapists use hell as a tool to keep people from ending their lives? It's like they're grasping for something to keep people alive. You know, if the very, very sacred scriptures present benevolence, how did the contemporary vision of eternal judgment and torture develop? It's a history of 2,000 years of theological and historical twists where the truth is lost. I mean, the history is just crazy of how biblical people, uh, biblical scholars twist it around. Okay, um, the biblical record simply states that voluntary death is how the person died. Don't forget that. By the end of the first century, early church fathers developed teachings that twisted the original intentional message, sometimes unwittingly and other times intentionally. And then these early church fathers shaped how Christians read and applied the scriptures. The first is my least favorite guy from church history. I mean, I guess Augustine did a lot of good things. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, um, Augustine lived and wrote in the 4th century. His uh, big book is called The City of God. And in the book, he addressed all the theological issues of his day. And through the book, he created a framework for the life and faith of Christians, which was to determine orthodoxy basically even still today. Um, and many of Augustine's insights have been treasured. However, he's one of the first people who casts a very dark shadow on voluntary death. Um, while I present Judas as someone who was racked by guilt and took his life as a response to his grief, Augustine presents a different view, and this is a direct quote. This is what he said. We rightly abominate the act of Judas, and the judgment of truth is that when he hung himself, he did not atone for the guilt of his detestable betrayal, but rather increased it, since he despaired of God's mercy and in a fit of self-destructive remorse left himself no chance of saving repentance. For when Judas killed himself, he killed a criminal, yet he ended his life guilty not only of Christ's death, but also of his own. One crime led to another. So think about this. Listen to that. Uh, I know it's hard to kind of hear these quotes in a podcast, but 
Augustine introduces the terms uh, abomination, detestable, self-destructive, criminal, crime. You know, where the Hebrew Bible and the Christian scriptures never use this vocabulary. It's Augustine's driving vision. He continues, he says, quote unquote, certainly anyone who kills himself is a murderer. Those who have committed this crime against themselves. Can you believe that? He now says that people who voluntarily end their lives are murderers. It becomes a crime. It becomes, they are breaking the sixth commandment. They're murderers. I, that's why we get the term suicide, soul murderers. I just, I rail against that. And then uh, after Augustine, it continues, um, the Council of Godot, they follow Augustine's lead and the church fathers remove from their list of martyrs all those who voluntarily died. The council at Carthage in 348 joined the condemnation. In 363, the council of Braga damned those who voluntarily ended their lives and denied them proper burial. And then one of the final theological twists came in the 13th century when Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian and philosopher, he wrote an emphatic statement against voluntary death in his Summa Theological. His a big book, his Summa. And he, he says, here's a direct quote again. First, because everything loves itself, the result being that everything naturally keeps itself in being and resists corruption so far as it can, wherever suicide is contrary, wherever suicide is contrary to the inclination of nature and to charity, whereby every man should love himself. Hence, suicide is always a mortal sin as being contrary to the natural law and to charity. Okay. I think I should go back and reread that. Um, let me kind of get my voice right for this. Let's see. This is Aquinas again, the, the Summa Theological. First, he says, first, because everything loves itself, the result being that everything naturally keeps itself in being and resists corruption so far as it can, wherefore suicide is contrary to the inclination of nature and to charity, whereby every man should love himself. Hence, suicide is always a mortal sin as being contrary to the natural law and to charity. I mean, there it is. I mean, it's a mortal sin. It suddenly has gone from nothing in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament that is condemnation and now through Augustine and these different uh, councils and then to Aquinas, it's now suddenly a mortal sin. You know, Aquinas argued that suicide should never be used to avoid suffering, to escape from the guilt of committing a sin, to escape the punishment of a crime. He singled out women, stating that they should not complete suicide in the case of rape, as they committed no sin in the act unless they consented. Even then, according to Aquinas, suicide brings sin where there is no sin. Aquinas believed that taking one's life lacked any grace towards oneself, the community. It trumped God's power to dispose of a person's life at the divine's discretion. I mean, I just, 
I just rail against Aquinas and what he is saying. You know, what, what, here's a kind of key insight. While the church confronted a vast number of issues, voluntary death was addressed by the highest levels of administration, theology, and doctrine. The key insight here is that while leaders and churches condemned the act of voluntary death and those committed it, it didn't stop Christians from killing themselves. The act was so prevalent that pastors, congregations, and local church leaders needed guidance. And were these people committing uh, voluntary death? Were they committing a major sin? Were they violating a commandment or a teaching of Jesus? And this is kind of a weird one. They, If so, they wondered how were they to be buried, these people who voluntarily ended their life? Were they still a part of a church? And then most importantly, had they, had they committed a crime of some kind? This movement went from a religious sin to a social crime. It reveals how voluntary death created within the church and culture this huge, huge tension. So that's the church history. Jump a thousand years, and here we are today with Christianity seemingly condemning those who voluntarily end their life. But really, does it? All right. I'm at 29 minutes and 21 seconds. I think I'm going to end right here with the question, today, does Christianity condemn voluntary death? This might take two or three episodes to get at all this. All right, so I'm going to end it right there. No one wants to listen to me more than 30 minutes. I have covered a lot of ground in these first 30 minutes of voluntary death. And I want you to think for yourself. Do you think that God condemns someone's soul to hell who voluntarily ends their life? If you say no, then I want you to think through what, what, uh, how do you support that argument? If you say that God does condemn someone to hell, what supports your argument? And then I will pick it up next week. Actually, I'm going to be gone for a week, so I won't do an episode next week. But I'll follow it up the following week with episode um, 56 or 57. (laughs) Can't remember. All right. This is the Cowboy Jesus podcast, Riding the Rodeo of Religion and Life. Um, I'm hoping you're enjoying this podcast. You know, I do several other things. You can find my blog the Cowboy Jesus uh, blog, same name. I also do a Wednesday shout-out that I do primarily for the people of Columbine United Church, but I put it out there on Facebook for anybody, kind of a midweek spiritual boost to get you through the week to next Sunday. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all these different uh, platforms just trying to get the good news out about riding the religion, riding the rodeo of religion and life. All right. That's it. Take care.